This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers, actually there are three soldiers at rest there, is one of the most hallowed sites in the country. It's also one of the most popular visitor attractions at Arlington National Cemetery. Next month, the cemetery will mark an important date. For details, I caught up with the commander of the soldiers who guard the Tomb of the Unknown, First Lieutenant Andrew Katz. This November, we have the opportunity to commemorate the 100 years since the internment of the World War I unknown on November 11, 1921. Originally designed to be a place of remembrance, a place of mourning for the family members who lost loved ones during World War I, this historic site in Arlington National Cemetery has grown to become not only the heartbeat of Arlington National Cemetery, but a special place where two countries can come together, aligned countries who have fought in battle to honor those who have gone in the line of duty. Now, the contents of the tomb, has that changed over the years? Are there more unknowns there than the original one from World War I? Yes. Originally in 1921, the first unknown soldier was laid to rest. Later in 1958, America interred an unknown service member from World War II and from the Korean War. And finally, in 1984, we interred the Vietnam unknown. However, 14 years later in 1998, through forensics, we were actually able to identify the Vietnam unknown as First Lieutenant Michael J. Blasey. His remains were returned to his family where he was laid to rest in his hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. So there were four. There are now three unknown service members buried on the plaza at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. However, those service members represent more than just themselves. They represent the thousands of service members whom we were not able to pay our respects to as a nation, the many service members that we were not able to identify. And to commemorate the centennial of this, what will specifically happen? This November, on the 9th and the 10th, Arlington National Cemetery is hosting a flower ceremony where visitors of the cemetery will have a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to enter onto the plaza, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, to lay a flower at these headstones. With your flower, you are showing your reverence, a sign of connectivity to our mission, the Tomb Guard mission at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, to continuously render honors to these service members who have come before us. They gave more than just their lives. They gave their identities. And in doing so, they created this place where we could celebrate those who have come before us. And we should note you are speaking without notes. Are you speaking from memory or are you speaking from Andrew Katz? Yes, sir. As a tomb guard and and now as a sentinel, it is our duty to be stewards of not only the profession of arms, but also stewards and a representation of Arlington National Cemetery. So the history of the interments of the unknowns, as well as the history of the cemetery and the history of the guards that have protected them, is an important part of our mission. And it's our honor and our privilege to be able to tell that story to the millions of visitors that pass through Arlington National Cemetery every year. Sure, and without saying um, which I wish more of my guests were able to do, but this idea of being able to step onto the plaza close to the stones themselves, the markers, that's something ordinarily that never happens. In other words, that's a sacrosanct area all other times. That is correct. That is where tomb guards have walked continuously since the first guard in 1925, the first military guard in 1926, and then in 1937 when the first 24-hour guard was posted. Since that time, there has been a guard continuously serving rain or shine, no matter the weather, no matter the season, at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. It has been closed off, surrounded by chains and rails that enclose this eternal resting place of these three unknown service members, all of whom were presented the Medal of Honor for their service. This flower ceremony affords all visitors the opportunity to share in this honor of rendering honors to our nation's unknown war dead. 
And those that serve as guards, this 24 by 7 sentinel that happens there, are they only Army or is this a multi-service situation? Yes, sir. This has been a privilege that the United States Army has been able to hold and maintain since the first military guards in 1926. Preceded by the 3rd Cavalry Regiment, the Old Guard took over the right to guard the unknowns on the 6th of April, 1948. And the Old Guard, the 3rd Infantry Regiment, has been conducting this mission ever since. And we are speaking with Army Lieutenant Andrew Katz, who is commander of the guards of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And when you joined the Army, was this what you had in mind? No, sir. I wanted to be an infantry platoon there. I branched infantry. I went down to Fort Benning to complete infantry basic officer course, ranger school, airborne school, in hopes to be a, an infantry platoon leader. My first duty station was in Savannah, Georgia. I was at Fort Stewart, where I was assigned to be a rifle platoon leader and then a reconnaissance platoon leader. Following those assignments, the opportunity to come and serve in the 3rd Infantry Regiment presented itself And I realized very quickly the opportunity to grow as an individual and as a leader. The attention to detail, the time and task management, as well as the teamwork and the individual responsibility that's trained here were life lessons that I knew I couldn't live without. And that is what serving in the 3rd Infantry Regiment has afforded me the opportunity to do. And what are the essential requirements of being a guard? I mean, we see what they do, and it's quite impressive. And they never make a mistake so far as I'm aware. What does it take? It takes resilience, it takes determination, and it takes a passion and an understanding for what it is that we are doing, and more importantly, who it is that we are protecting. We have soldiers, as young as 18, 19-year-old infantry soldiers, culinary specialists, medics, motor transport operators, all different MOSs from all different backgrounds, and we instill an understanding and a reverence in all of our teammates that's important to continue in training as a tomb guard. And that understanding breeds those character attributes that I mentioned previously that ultimately lead a tomb guard to graduate from training and become a tomb sentinel. And in addition to all those qualities, it also takes a lot of practice too, doesn't it? I mean, rehearsal. Yes. So while we are on duty, we're on duty 24-7. That does provide us the opportunity. The cemetery is open from the hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Outside of those hours, we maintain a continuous guard. While the public is outside of the cemetery, it does afford us the opportunity to conduct rigorous and reoccurring training. Our three main pillars of training as tomb guards are ceremonial performance of our four main missions, which are the guard, the changing of the guard, army wreath-laying ceremonies, and full honors wreath-laying ceremonies. The two main other aspects of tomb guard training are uniform maintenance and production, the ability to assemble, curate, and reproduce your uniform so that every single time you have the opportunity to guard the unknowns, to go out and conduct our sacred duty, you are doing so to the best of your ability. And you are the absolute best representation of not only the United States Army, but the United States military that you could be. And the final pillar, of course, is the tomb knowledge. Some of the history that we've shared today, some of the facts that we've talked about, having that keen understanding and that awareness of the history that we are a part of and the history and the legacy that we're honoring is the third pillar to tomb guard training. And once you are able to master those three pillars and you complete a series of five tests, you will go from tomb guard to sentinel. And as a sentinel, you are entrusted with producing the future of our platoon, the future of tomb guard training. Got it. And in those night hours when nobody is there from the public, is there someone watching so that the 
continuous process of perfection and maintaining standards continues? Absolutely. I mean, if you're going to misstep, it's better to do it at 2 a.m. and figure out how to practice around that than it is at noon. Absolutely. The continual guard is always present at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and it's a team effort. Training is never done alone. Training is always under the guise of watchful sentinels who have been entrusted to maintain and uphold the standard. And as a sentinel, that is the greatest honor that I could ever have is as a trainer to be able to ensure that the future of this platoon, that future generations of Americans and visitors to Arlington National Cemetery will have the opportunity to witness what I witnessed in 1997 when my parents brought me at the age of three to Arlington National Cemetery to see the changing of the guard. And what I saw on that day as a three-year-old is the exact same image, the exact same ceremony that we are still asked to perform today and that we still have the honor of performing today. And as the commander of the whole kit and caboodle, do you ever do a shift yourself just to kind of stay sharp? I have completed shifts. I went through a similar training program to most of my soldiers as the administrative and the operational leader of the platoon. I do not have the same opportunities to go through all the same training programs, but going through and learning the guard shift, the changing of the guard, and the wreath-laying ceremonies, it is an experience and an Army training program that I do not think can be rivaled. The severity and the attention to detail that Tomb Sentinels have for their job is simply admirable. And I think we can all learn from the work ethic and the dedication of of these incredible service members. And what are your hopes for the future of your Army career? This will complete my platoon leader time. After this will be company command. That's one of the big things I look forward to. So you're going to stick around? I'll be around for a little bit, absolutely. First Lieutenant Andrew Katz is commander of the Army Sentinels who guard the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington National Cemetery. We spoke during the Association of the U.S. Army Conference last week. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. 
How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me, and I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day, and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop, and he would focus on me, and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, Absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. 
Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.